You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Welcome to another episode of In Flow with Soul. Today, my guest is Savannah Locke, and she is an entrepreneur and a musician from Nashville. But that bio doesn't even begin to touch who she is. <laughs> so that's what she does. Savannah, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, well, I am a business owner. I'm a writer. Um, I am married to an amazing person named Todd. I'm a dog mom, (laughs) two little puppies that they're the best. Um, and I mean, when I think about like the essence of who I am, I'm a friend is probably one of the biggest parts of my life. And I feel like, uh, that's probably one of my, uh, passions in life is to be a good friend and create space for people. Beautiful. Yeah. How long have you known that you want to create space for people or have have been able to articulate that? So my name, Savannah, actually means wide open space because, you know, like the African Savannah. Sure. So several years ago, I got into names and just what they mean. And, uh, you know, because like back in the day, people would have so much new meaning behind names. And now a lot of people do, but my mom literally just named me because she thought it sounded pretty. Sure. And several years ago when I started researching and it was called wide open space, I thought that's a really cool name. Because what it means is that like, I can actually make space for people in all walks of life to feel comfortable around me and for me to empower them and lift them up in whatever they're doing in their life. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I can see that you are totally charged up by this. (laughs) Yes. I love giving people space and room to breathe. Beautiful. So I'm really excited about today's conversation because, you know, my conversation with my guest is usually about the business that they're in and the challenges that they're facing. And um, it's it's either startup or building, but you are in a place where you're ready to sell your business. You have sold your business, correct? I'm selling it. Yeah, I'll be finished in a month. Okay. So you, I would love to hear this story because it's a very compact story, shall we say. So tell me how this business got started, because I know it's very young, and that the quick turnaround that you had on that. So around a year ago, actually, like right when COVID hit, um, I had been managing a doctor's office for three years at that point. And when it hit, everything started shifting around. And with that shift came an internal shift too, where I thought, okay, this is kind of a wild time to jump out on my own, but it also seemed like a perfect time because everything was up in the air. 
And so I knew that I wanted to start my own business because I had grown so much in administration and management skills by working at this office. And I had a background in design and photography and the real estate market in Nashville was booming. And so I kind of saw a moment and an opportunity and decided to jump in. So I started a real estate media company in Nashville as a result. So that was around 12 months ago. And because as you know, working with Keller Williams, it was just a wild summer. Last summer (laughs) was absolutely wild and booming and the prices were insane and it was just crazy. And because of COVID, the media was like a highest premium for a lot of agents because a lot of people weren't coming and touring homes. So they were buying without ever walking inside. And so in where agents maybe would have typically just done photos, now they're doing photos and videos and 3D tours and aerial footage to give potential buyers the best possible experience before they even walk into the door. So it was sort of a perfect business to start at that time. And I saw that with the growth that I experienced. And so it was a pretty wild summer for me. And then that momentum carried on into the fall. And then around December, I totally crashed and I was exhausted. My business was fine, but I wasn't. And I took off two two, uh, weeks off uh, at the end of the year, which was the first two weeks that I had taken off since March. And it just hit me, you know, this is not sustainable. This is not a sustainable pace that I'm running at. And so at the beginning of this year, I started thinking through what a sustainable rhythm might look like. And realize that for the growth to take place at the pace that it, it was going, even without my input, I, I couldn't sustain that and it wasn't worth it to me anymore. So okay. that's when I started thinking in terms of someone buying my business. And lucky for me, it kind of happened quickly. And um, we have this amazing person who's going to take it over, who has a little bit more space to uh, keep that rhythm going for a while as the business grows. Okay. So you're on this end where you're selling your business and it's a short period of time, right? Since you started it. So hopefully these questions will be easy for you, but in terms of what you know now, in terms of selling, what do you wish you knew either when you were starting up or maybe in the middle of it uh, for the selling opportunity? Would you have done anything differently? I got really lucky because the process has been so smooth. Um, I think the one thing, it was actually a piece of advice that someone gave me around December when I started thinking about selling. He said to keep the pipeline full because that's really attractive to potential buyers. So maybe the temptation would be just to scale back and give and hand the business over to someone. But actually I had to keep the pace going so that you're handing off something with momentum versus something that's just been lying dormant for three months. Right. So that was a piece of advice someone gave me that I wouldn't have done unless they had told me. Right. Yeah. Was there, was there anything else that you had to go back and do in order to prepare for the sale of your business? So I don't know. Keeping up. Go ahead. Right. I was keeping up with everything except for this. And this might be specific to my business, but I guess if you do have like a service-based business with a lot of clients, um, depending on whatever your management system is, Um, something I had to go back and do and it took a long time was to just write down specific 
things that were particular to each customer. So for me, I have what I call level four customers that get a 10% discount on all of their products because all 100% of their business goes to me. So I wish that for the last year, I had been keeping up with that in a management system versus just in my head because passing that off to someone needs to be in a, it needs to be a system for someone else that they can just adapt and carry forth. Whereas what I did was just kind of jerry-rigged everything so that I could work it. But now there's had to be a couple of um, organizational shifts um, for me that I had to write down a ton of different notes so that the next person who owns this business can just kind of like look at the name, know exactly what needs to happen and move on. How about the financial side of things? Yeah. Did you have have all of your books in order? That's one of the things I, I personally struggle with, and I know a lot of my clients do as well. So tell me about your financial systems, and did those evolve during your process, or did you set them up at the beginning and then just carry them on? I had an accountant from the beginning that did everything. So that was also a huge uh, benefit. I knew that was not my strong suit. So from the beginning, I had an accountant helping me with everything that I did. So that has been a really smooth transition. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. So this is a very quick 12-month turnaround. Um, I I can't Did you start? You didn't start this business thinking, I'm just going to start it, kick it off, and then then sell it, right? No, Uh, no, no. (laughs) so when you started it then like what were some of your biggest challenges of getting it off the ground from idea into reality into reality so the only way to generate momentum in my business as a service-based business was cold calling and I don't know anyone who likes cold calling do you (laughs) There, there are very few people that like cold calling and I'm very personable so I enjoy people and I find it easy to connect with people but Once again, because I started in a pandemic, no meetings were happening in person. I couldn't go by any offices. So everything was happening over the phone. So the biggest challenge was the mental challenge around, I'm calling 20 to 40 people a day. And when I'm on the phone, I'm jumping into their world. They are taking care of their kids at home. You hear the garage door opening. The dog is barking in the background. You're jumping into their world. So you can't take anything personally. And that was a huge lesson for me to learn was I need to go in and understand that I'm dealing with their reptile brain. That is just fight or flight because they don't have any reason to trust me. So the goal is to just like disarm as much as possible and be as kind as possible and quick as possible. Okay. So clarity is key in those conversations, especially in those first meetings. And for me, what was huge was just to learn that if someone hung up on me or said, stop bothering me or whatever, that it's not personal. So that was a massive roadblock for me because I am so personable. Like I love people to not take things personally. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like a double whammy. Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that was a huge mental roadblock for me. And I'm really, I honestly, I'm proud of myself because I made like, I think I told you this yesterday. I made like 4,000 sales calls in like six months. Like I was like grinding it out and did this thing that I truly feared and then learned to kind of develop like a good sense of thick skin around it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Hang up, call the next person. Right. 
So another challenge um, for some of my clients, and, and I'll say for myself as well, is is managing the time then, so that you are you're finding business and you're delivering the services that you've already sold. How did you manage that? So uh, someone gave me a really good piece of advice around this. They didn't work in my sector, but they said hire someone before you think you need it. Okay. And for me, I was growing it. And then by the time I was doing five or six shoots a day, because I was doing the shooting myself too. Sure. And when I started feeling that stretch, I hired someone before I was at like a breaking point. And okay. when I, once I hired my photographer, they took a lot off of my plate. Sure. Um, but then in terms of like practicalities around time management, because I actually think this was an area of strength for me that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, I time block and I am so diligent about sticking with the time block. So at the beginning of every single day, my rhythm was to wake up in the morning with my tea, take out my journal and write down what I was going to do with every single hour of that day. And I just stuck with it. And it was really helpful because normally I would work less time, but get more done. Because if you don't know what you're doing, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have a lot, a lot of wasted mental energy worried about what am I supposed to be doing? Right, exactly. Or, like, oh, I know what I'm supposed oh. to be doing and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and if you put it in there, if you if you put in, I would always do the things I hated the most at the beginning of the day, just get it over with. And so my cold calls were always done by 11. And then I did stuff that I enjoyed more after that. Got that it. So you set up your day, uh, first of all, intentionally, but in general, calls were made in the morning and you went out in the afternoons and, well, and or had your photographer go out then. And if I, even if I had shoots um, in the morning, I would do my calls on the drive there. Okay. I would always get them done in the morning. I found that people are more receptive in the morning too, um, with the exception of Monday mornings. Um, Mondays, I would okay. sometimes switch to afternoon calls because people are catching up after the weekend. But right. I found people were just like in better moods in the morning. I don't know why that was. Well, they haven't had so many frustrations piled on them in the, that time of the day either. Yes. That's, yeah. I, I don't know if you've had to do cold calls, have you? I do. Yes. Yeah. No joke. It's, okay. it, it, it's no joke. It's, it's really uncomfortable. I haven't gotten comfortable with it yet. Um, I will. Yeah. And I love talking with people like you where it's no big deal. Yeah. Because if it's no big deal for you, then that means it's possible for me to get to that place where it's no big deal. Yes. So thank you for sharing that inspiration. Yeah. Because it is important. And and I, I haven't, I haven't run into a business yet. And I'm sure there are, but the, the, the businesses or the business owners that I work with tend to be those that need to be making phone calls and to generate business. And, and one of the things I tell my clients is you don't have to only make phone calls. Like that doesn't have to be the only thing that you do to generate business, but you can't take that out of your repertoire either. You have to do some of it. You have to do. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's, I think it's so helpful to just get honest. Like, I love what you said. Like, it's hard for me. Like, it's mm-hmm. helpful to just not act like it's not hard. I don't know what that does. Like, you have to be able to say, no, this is hard for me. And for me, once I identified, like, this is like deep, but it's a fear of rejection for me where I'm like, oh, I don't want to get rejected by this person. Right. And so then when you're able to say, oh, this deep fear here is a fear of rejection. And then you have to remind yourself, well, the people that are around me love and accept me. 
So it's okay if Joe, the realtor from Brentwood, who I don't know, doesn't want to talk to me. Like that's not rejection in the same way that it would be like rejection from my friends or my spouse, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all perspective. It's all, yes. But it might as well be honest about what the fear is there because then it will help you jump over the hurdle. Absolutely. I've really... More and more coming to understand that those things that we resist or deny or, you know, just shove off into the corner come up bigger, badder, wilder than ever if they're not attended to. I kind of see it as my little three-year-old self. Yes. Right. If I'm not attending to my little three-year-old self, she's going to get crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so (laughs) true. And, uh, Things will get ugly if I don't take care of, if if I don't acknowledge it, acknowledge it. And even if I can't do anything about it, sometimes just acknowledging it is enough. It diffuses the energy that was there. Yeah. In the moment. Absolutely. Were there any other challenges that you faced during this really quick ramp up and then, and sell off? Yeah. Uh, So just given my context, I'm in the South and there's, there's some uh, misogyny left over here. And so there, there was the first couple of months was hard for me, especially talking with male realtors, some male realtors and brokers who would just call me like sweetie or just say silly things and make me feel like I was an 18 year old girl who didn't know what was happening. And honestly, the way I coped with that, I, I, wish that I didn't have to do this, but for me, it felt like I needed to in order to progress is that I just started saying it was a business that my husband and I both owned when the truth is it was just me. And I started like kind of reeling in my husband, Todd on some of those calls. If I sensed that there were hurdles there for people who maybe didn't inherently trust or take as seriously the fact that I was a female business owner. And so that was like a big hurdle. And I don't know, it, it might sound silly or whatever, but it, that was pretty frustrating for me at the beginning. And then I realized like, well, the best revenge is just doing really well then. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Especially knowing realtors, they would be really impressed by the the growth and how quickly you were. And the busier you get, then like the more attractive you can become in that. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, before we leave the business sector, my last question has to do with hiring, because I think that advice that you got was was solid. And and again, I'm going to be able to speak for myself in this. When I hired my admin at the beginning of this year, things have changed dramatically for me. Um, It's the right person. That's that's key. Um, And what she can do for me and for my business I can't, I was talking to her this morning and we were doing our end of the month, uh, you know, kind of summary, how are things going and what's coming up next. And I can't even put into words what she does for me and for my business. It's just so powerful. So when you were at that uh, place where it was time to make a hire, what were you looking for? Did you have a strategy for finding uh, help or not help? Yeah. uh, you know, hiring your first partner. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Hiring someone. Um, I knew my business requires a very high amount of adaptability and flexibility. So when you show up to a house to photograph it, 
the bed might be not made, or I've showed up and people have been smoking pot in the living room. And you have to be so flexible when you walk into a home where you're creating a good impression for not only the sellers, but then also for the agent, even if the agent's not there. So you have to create an amazing experience for whoever is there. And you have to be very adaptable and flexible. I have literally helped fold clothes in closets before as a photographer so that the house looks good. So the listing looks good. So my number one thing was that I really wanted flexibility. And then the second thing was that I needed someone who was very punctual mm-hmm. because there it's, there's no reason or excuse for me to ever be late. Like that's yeah. like the number one thing, because the minute you're late, you're creating distrust with the person who's hired you to perform this service. So, um, when I was looking for someone, obviously experience in your fields, but anyone would be looking for that. And then yeah, right, in terms right. of character, I needed someone who's going to be flexible, flexible and punctual. And so that's sort of what I honed in on around with the interview process. And I got really lucky with the guy that I hired. He's amazing and super flexible and, um, Every, in the first several sheets that he did, I would call the agents afterwards and ask how the experience was. And everyone mentioned what a great impression he made. And that to me, that feedback is so encouraging because then I can trust that he's going to make, be a good brand ambassador. And I don't have to worry about that. Then I can worry about other things. Exactly. Yeah. So did you have experience in hiring before? I know you were an office manager. I don't know if hiring was part of your responsibilities or was this new? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So yeah, uh, we, yeah. And I did hire people to, as as office manager, as we we needed more help with like admin. Um, And then, yeah, I hired my own replacement too, because I had grown so much with that role that the doctor I was working for was like, Hey, I trust you completely to find the best person for this role. And I cared so deeply about it because I loved that office that that passion I think showed through. And it was easy for me to be able to tell personality wise, who was going to be able to do the job that I had done. One of the challenges in hiring, and, and I think this is, um, very true for small businesses, yeah. right? And, and because I think sometimes we think, well, I don't need that much, especially if we're making our first hire, mm-hmm. right? So maybe, you know, Sally down the street, she's got some extra time. She yeah. Maybe she could do this for me or, or that. And what I, in my, in my previous career, I was a special education director. Right. And so I would hire teachers and service providers And so from that experience, my takeaway is hiring is probably one of the biggest and most important decisions that you can make because the wrong hire adds 10 times more work. The right hire is, is going to exponentially reduce your amount of work. So were there any guidelines that you use to keep you uh, away from maybe making a, a friendly hire versus the right hire? Yeah. Uh, the friendly hire was not going to happen with me because I was, I was getting to the point of overwhelm where I thought this has to be the right thing. And so there was like a seriousness around that. Um, I think too, like my expectations, I was so clear with what the position would look like, what it paid, like what the distance travel expenses were and everything like that, that I didn't want them to be surprised once I hired them. Like I wanted it to be exactly what I laid out. And I didn't want to be surprised with them either. So I think when you set the tone of being crystal clear about the position, 
I like had the whole resume or the um, whole job description. I had him give me a resume where Mm -hmm. I took it seriously, which weeds out like Sally down the street, you know, because Sally down the street is amazing probably, but there is a seriousness that comes with like, Hey, this is like an interview process. And here's the job description. Does this match up with your resume? And asking very pointed questions that can help you weed out and flesh out if the person's going to be a good fit. Right. Does that sound like what your experience was hiring your assistant? Oh, oh, completely. Yeah, completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, even with her, I stumbled onto her. So I have to take that back. That was not my process with my assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, I had started working with her. I'd found her through, I think, like Upwork. And so she was doing a little bit of work for me and it was by seeing what she could do for me within that project base. So basically she just, she earned her own job, right? There was no commitment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, But another question that I think uh, comes up and I know I have this conversation a lot with my clients as well is how do you decide on compensation models? So did you do research in, and into that and, and what, did you learn from that process? Yeah, I have, um, I actually have friends that do what I do. So I just borrowed from their model Got and it. that was really easy. And just, it helped me kind of like streamline right into it. So that wasn't very complicated for me, but in my business too, and in my industry, I knew that I wanted to pay sustainably because in my industry, photographers are not paid sustainably. And so okay. I was intentional about like looking to other businesses and business owners who I admired and asking what they did so that I can implement the similar model. Beautiful. Yeah. Doesn't, I mean, there's nothing like, right. Going to someone who's been through this and learning from them. And so I love to hear that. So I just asked people. Yeah. No. Yeah. You can't just make it up. (laughs) If someone's doing it well, why not just ask them and see uh, glean as much advice as you can from them? Exactly. Exactly. Before we leave your experience with this business, were there any other learnings or highlights that you would want to share before we move on? I mean, entrepreneurship is truly until you're in it. I think it's probably like motherhood. I'm not a mom yet, but until you're in it, you literally do not know what it's like or how emotionally and mentally taxing it can be. Um, until you're in the thick of it and it's a Wednesday afternoon and one of your clients is upset at you and you feel like you're never going to gain momentum or make money and just all of it just starts piling in. And that is something that I wish anyone who's starting their business that I could be like, Hey, this is going to be insanely hard and you can do it. Like you have what it takes and just like holding both of those things to be so true where for me, I kind of went into it blindly, honestly, which is probably good. It's probably why I even started it. But as time went on, each each threshold that you cross with your business comes with new challenges. So you think in your mind, oh, once I hit X or once I hire someone, then I'll be able to. But that then never comes. There's always new challenges that come with it. But I think what I would encourage anyone who's starting their own business or even in the building phase of their business is, is that yes, there are new challenges, but you can rise to meet those challenges because that's the only reason you got this far. And so I think for me, like, I wish that maybe I had like pep talks along the way with each of those moments of like, Hey, yeah, it feels like your head's going to like break in. All you need to do (laughs) is go buy yourself a coffee 
right. take a breather, cry it out, and you can keep on moving forward. Yeah. I love that advice. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So let's transition now to what you're doing next. Tell us a little bit about this. Um, well, so I'm so grateful for my business, as I told you yesterday, I'm so grateful. And it was so awesome. It was honestly, like, I felt like it stretched me in ways that nothing else besides entrepreneurship can, as you know. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was also very clarifying for me as well, because I realized that my passions were not completely in line with the industry that I was in. So even though the industry, it was very opportune where COVID hit, real estate was booming and media was like required and necessary. So I, I saw the moment and really capitalized on it, but I realized it wasn't in line with like passions of mine where I'm very passionate. I've been writing for over 10 years and I'm really creative and enjoy that part of like life. And none of that was really in here, especially once I hired my photographer, I couldn't even take my own photographs. <laughs> so what? all the creative stuff was taken away. So now I am um, transitioning into writing. So I'm talking with an agent and a publisher. And so hopefully I'll be having a book come out next year, probably in the okay. fall of next year. And do you have an idea of what this topic is going to be for this book? Yes. So, um, this world is crazy. Is it not? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Everything feels like it's falling apart sometimes. And I am obsessed with therapy. I'm obsessed with like practicing and keeping rhythms. Like I told you about my journal rhythm every morning. I do all of these rhythms to help me stay grounded. And, um, I'm going to, in the spirit of making space for people, write a book about different rhythms and practices that I've experienced that have helped me stay grounded when the world is kind of, you know, falling apart and looks like a dumpster fire. Oh my gosh. So really a book of strategies? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an idea of what one of those strategies might be? Sure. One of them is uh, befriending your body. So I think this is huge for um, entrepreneurs too, business owners is, and especially female business owners, is we tend to ignore the signs that our bodies are giving us that they're saying, hey, we're stressed out. Hi, your heart rate's up. Hi, you're losing hair. You have zits all over your face. Okay, these are all our bodies telling us like, hey, you're moving too fast and you're taking on too much. And by befriending our bodies, we're actually able to pay attention to the signs that our bodies are giving us in implement strategies like exercise or eating well or meditation or journaling that will help us stay in sustainable rhythms that will not only help our businesses grow, but will also help us win at life where we have good relationships and that our um, relationship with ourself is good. If we have faith or spirituality that we're in like a Zen Den space. Amazing. Yes. So the, so as women, as you say, we tend to ignore our body and the signals. Hey, why that, do we do that? <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. If you had an idea about where does this come from? Do you have any thoughts on how does this cultural message keep getting repeated? Because I don't think anyone's ever told me ignore your headaches or ignore this. Nobody's ever told me to do that. And yet I'm really good at it. Right. But I think you have heard consciously or subconsciously that it's your role to accommodate everyone else. And I think that at do oh, there's that, that. <laughs> yes, the accommodation piece where it's like a yeah. woman's a lot of times the woman's highest good is to be nice. 
And with that comes with like self-refusal and self-rejection at the expense of like helping other people at the expense of yourself. And so I'm all about service. Like I freaking love serving people and I love loving people even at cost to myself, but it has to be a choice. But I think a lot of women have been taught, you don't have a choice. Your only role is to lay down your life for other people so that their lives can be more comfortable. So I think that's where our bodies like are really rejected in that process. But tell me about your experience with that. Does that feel true to you? That feels completely true. And what I would add to that, because I, um, my health issue is psoriasis. Yes, I have and... it too. <laughs> so fun with psoriasis, sisters. Uh, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, um, I think I first noticed the symptoms like when I was in high school, the, sc- the, the flaky scalp and that kind of thing. But I just thought it was dandruff and, you know didn't think much of it. So here's the first time I'm brushing it off, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I turn 30, somewhere in there, I start getting um, the um, arthritis. Yeah. Right. And so now my joints are swelling up, I can't move so well. I find a a chiropractor that is amazing and gets me back on track. So I think, oh, okay, I'm good. And then um I don't even, I don't know what the trigger was, but it was a, around 2015, somewhere in there. I started like my skin was literally burning from the inside out. Yeah. And yeah, I persisted with that for an entire year where I have these flare ups where my face and my arms and my chest w- were blistered. It was yeah. like a sunburn without being in the sun kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I did not want to go to the doctor. Part of it was I didn't want to go to the doctor because I didn't want, want the medications that they were going to offer me. Mm. And so I kept, I think my, my uh, script or the story that I was going by is um, I can't go. I don't want that. And so yeah. there's nothing else for me. Yeah. Totally. And then finally this, uh, the flare ups, I, I remember it, uh, the last flare up happened. It started in Thanksgiving mm. and it lasted all the way through through Christmas. And it was at that point, finally, where I said, okay, if I have to take this medication, I have to take this medication. But I got to do I can't live like this. Yeah, you can't literally cannot live. I mean, I look my my face was all puffy. I look like I got beat up. And it was horrible. And so for me, that was just a very severe example of, of not listening to my body. Because yeah. it had been telling me for a long time that something's not right. And I was fortunate to find a doctor who happens to be a doctor of immunology mm-hmm. and metaphysical doctor. So he's talking about energy and, and yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah. And I remember what he said to me because I, I, I came to him and I was crushed. Like I just, I started to see, consider the possibility like this is my life. Yeah, and I would have been like 45 at the time. Yeah. I can't stay in the house right. for the rest of my life. Um, right. And I can't go out. Yeah. So I was at my lowest point, And I remember him saying to me, this is chronic stress. You oh. find the source of your chronic stress and this will heal. Yeah. He, he, he said, you, you're not broken. No. And I think that was the best thing for a doctor to say yeah. to me. Yeah. And then I got uh, connected with uh, an uh, acupuncturist, actually, who specializes in uh, skin conditions. And that's the treatment that I I, ta- I partake in now yeah. at this point. Oh, my gosh. I but, go to acupuncture every three weeks. We are literally <laughs> twinning right now. Oh, my God. Seriously. I'm every two weeks. 
Every two weeks. I love it so much. Every two yeah. weeks. But yes. thank you so much for sharing that because that's so powerful too. Like, and it shows how we're kind of like conditioned to ignore our bodies, even right. though our bodies are crystal clear, where it's like, yes, 100%, there's something wrong. But for right. some reason in our minds, our coping mechanism is minimizing. So we just minimize anything that's happening. But all that does, like what we said earlier, is it becomes a three-year-old version of us where the more you ignore it, the more rage builds up. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, for the uh, roughly five, six years now, that has been, uh, I am much more in tuned to my body. I do notice when things are, if I'm not sleeping quite as well as I did, or if I'm hot or am I cold, or I notice those things and, um, then take a look around what, and instead of looking at what's happening around me, like, cause I'm not looking at something's causing this. It's not outside of me. But rather, what is the story that I'm telling myself about what's happening around me? And um, it's in that story that I'm minimizing or diminishing myself, which is creating the stress, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me now, the body has become one of my biggest barometers. Do I listen to it all the time? I'm getting better. That's what I'll say. I'm getting better. Yes. (laughs) I'm getting better. And um, now with uh, the spring coming around, um, we live in Chicago and my husband and I, when we were first started dating, we would, we were both runners and we, on the weekends, we would take long runs downtown up to the lake and then back to the house for about nine miles. And, um, we realized how much we missed that. So we've just started now again on the weekends, walking out to the lake early because we're up early. We're like yeah. at five o'clock in the morning, getting up kind of people. And so let's just, you, we're up anyway. Let's just go out, walk. And so we've been doing that for a couple of weeks. My body is exhausted, right? Yeah. It's not, not so sore, but it's tired. Yeah. And I hate the phrase, it's a good tired, but it is. It is a good tired, yeah. It is. It feels like it's being used in the way that it was does, designed to be used. And then I'm feeling much more comfortable in my body. And it, it moves much easier than it did before. So not having my body and having gone through those periods where it's hard for me to get up out of a chair or, mm-hmm. you know, hard to move. And yeah. now to be in a space where it's feeling better to be in my body, yeah. it, I will listen to it. I may not all the time, but I definitely will be staying that, in tune with that body. That's so amazing. That's so transformational. I love that. It is. Well, thank you for having including that in your book. I can't, I can't wait to uh, hear the story that you that you uh, put with that. Yeah. So, is there any favorite thing that you do to take care of yourself? That's a great question. I think just implementing those rhythms that I talked about earlier—that's my number one way to self care. Okay. And of course, underneath the umbrella of rhythms are the journaling in the morning or the cinnamon tea that's right there, like all of these different like things, because what those become are checkpoints for me throughout the day that remind me to sort of like center, be grounded and check in with my body and just make sure that I'm not time traveling. Because I think when I'm not at my best, I'm time traveling to the future or to the past and not even living in this present moment. Absolutely. And I'm not seeing other people when I'm living like that. I'm not able to, in terms of like my business, especially when I was growing it, 
people can tell in five seconds if you're not there with them. 100%. If you're like looking at your phone or your watch or whatever. And actually the greatest asset that we can give is our attention to someone because we live in an information age where everyone's attention is being pulled in 7,000 directions. So for me, an active self-care actually becomes an active community care because if I'm present in, in, in those rhythms and those checkpoints throughout the day, if I'm able to use those as like recentering moments, I'm able to also care for others in the same way. That's beautiful. Yeah. Savannah, is there anything else about self-care that, that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet? Just that everyone needs to do it. <laughs> like, I feel like we make right? so many excuses. I don't understand why we make so many excuses because we associate self-care with selfishness. And the truth is, is that they're not the same thing and that we can't pour from empty cups. And there's this quote from an author I love. His name is Frederick Beekner. He's like 95 years old now and lives in Florida. And he talks about how a bleeding heart is of no use to anyone else if it bleeds to death. And so this idea of by tending to your heart and to tending to your soul and tending to your body, that you're not being self-centered in doing that. You're actually taking care of this amazing gift that you've been given of your body and your heart and your talents and your gifts. And by tending to those things, you're going to be able to make the impact in the world that you desire to make. But you have to keep it in that order. You have to make sure that you're always checking in, cultivating goodness inside of you. And then you can go out and do impossible things and scale amazing challenges. But if you're doing that half full, then you're never going to be able to get as far as you wanted to. I couldn't say it any better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Savannah, where do you have anything to add that you've learned in your wisdom? (laughs) Please share. No, you know, I think actually, as I was listening to you describe that, I was thinking back earlier in our call, um, talking about um, how women have this message of we need to be taking care of everyone else. And I think this conversation about self-care is is kind of the flip side of that coin, um, that it's we give ourselves, we require ourselves to take care of everyone else, putting ourselves off to the side this by bringing the self-care back this I love this bleeding heart conversation because I can't do I can't give to other people if I have nothing so if we're even going to buy into at any level that story that we need to be nurturing others we have to first nurture ourselves so that we have something to share or to give exactly yeah I love connection I love it when topics come back together they collide. Yes. They do. They do. Savannah, where can listeners find you, learn more about you? Um, honestly, I'm pretty basic. Just my Instagram. I do have a website, but I never even update it. So my Instagram okay. is the place to be. It's at Savannah underscore lock. Got it. L-O-K-E. L-O-C-K-E. L-O-C-K-E. I probably spelled it wrong, but yes, it's L-O-C-K-E. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your story. Congratulations on the sale of your company and best wishes uh, for you as you move into this new phase of, of authorship. That's very exciting. Thank you so much, Mary. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, 
please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.